Thank you. So, you, you, you wonder why I keep putting this verse up there, don't you? You think, the last five times Tony has spoken, he's put this verse up. This is it. This is the last time, probably, at the moment. Okay? Uh, it's just the new covenant, which is what God has given us through Jesus Christ, has at its heart this amazing, amazing gift of forgiveness. And the more I think about it, the more it kind of <laughs> grabs me and gets hold of me, and I see the character of God in it, I see the nature of God, and I see that I am the recipient of this just amazing gift of forgiveness. So for the last time, I'm going to speak about forgiveness on this theme um, today. Uh, the last times will be on the website shortly. It's just the Bible is full of this theme because nothing touches the character of God quite like forgiveness. It's who he is. It's so much not of this world, the radical costly forgiveness of God. God's forgiveness is always costly. It's not a flippant forgiveness. It, it's, it's, it's real. It's, it's, um, it, forgiveness is such a wonderful word. If you remember when I started this, I said, you know, right in the middle of that word is, is the word give. And forgiveness means to give completely. It's, it's like God in Christ gave himself completely for us. And uh, that word has come into our language as forgiveness. So let's pray. God, we just ask you to open our hearts and minds. And just as we come around your word again, let it speak deeply into our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name. So we've talked about the, the, four, the, the new covenant. And just maybe for the last time, let me just remind you of the four things that God says that he will write his law upon our hearts, upon our minds. That means he's going to be transforming us on the inside, the song we just sang that I will be your God and you will be my people. That's so good, isn't it? Just you're going out, you're driving your car, whatever you're doing, I will be your God. Yeah? It's mind-blowing. Um, and then it says, No longer will they teach their neighbors, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. So each of us having this covenant promise of relationship with God. And then which is the foundation of all of it, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And I know a few people have just been a little bit blown away and don't quite believe me when I said this is what the Bible says and this is what God means. I will remember them no more. You may hang on to them. You may regurgitate them. You may think about them, but God has promised that he will remember them no more. Ever, in eternity, you will never have to encounter in the presence of God that which he has already forgiven and laid and nailed to the cross of Jesus. That doesn't change. That's radical and powerful. It's complete. It's at the heart of the cross. So this kind of sums up this gift that changes who I am. I am a forgiven person. I am a recipient of God's grace. When I say I, I mean you. You are a forgiven person. That's powerful, isn't it? That means you may feel less than significant in the courts of men. But in his presence, you will always be significant because his grace has come upon you and forgiven you and cleansed you. At the heart of forgiveness is this new life. There's many pictures of forgiveness we've talked about in um, 
the Old Testament. Um, we talked about how these, the, the, the sky darlet wool, the sky darlet, the scarlet dyed wool was made white as snow. How is that possible? Let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. We talked about how far God removed my sins from me, as far as he could possibly do it from east to the west. We talked about that he's put my sin in the sea of his forgetfulness. We talked about he's put my sin behind his back where he can't see it. He said that, who, that he will not keep a record of my sins. If you, O Lord, keep a record of sins, who can stand? It's like God is saying, how many ways do you want me to slice this up? How many ways do you want me to tell you? There is forgiveness with thee, therefore you are to be praised. And we looked at two New Testament pictures last week we, or the week before. We looked at Christ nailing the debtedness of my sin to his cross um, and erasing it. And we looked at the judge, no one else than the judge, declaring me to be free. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who shall lay a charge to God's elect? No one. It is Christ. It's God that justifies. It's Christ that died. Who will lay a charge? There's nobody. There's no credible person left to lay a charge. So, yeah, thank you. Amen. So our forgiveness is so powerful. Being held in guilt and fear. Fear and guilt are two of the worst things out, aren't they? Guilt just kind of scrambles up your conscience and kind of darkens your, your, your thinking. And it captivates you. But when we are set free, it's like an enemy is disarmed and, and, and powerless. And the grace of God works in our lives. And we surrender to it. There's something about surrendering to forgiveness. Something about yielding to it. We had that lovely picture where Hannah was teaching about uh, the prodigal returning into the arms of the father. And that moment of repentance was that moment of surrender. That yes, daddy God, you are my God. And I submit and surrender to your heart. So forgiveness really gets hold of you. Now, God has always been a God. He revealed himself to Moses as the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Couldn't be more clear as to his character. That's who he is. And if you've received grace and forgiveness, you've received God. He doesn't come in another shape or form. So we also receive grace to forgive. And forgiveness is the foundation from which everything else flows into our lives. Scripture tells us that um, he that didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how should he not with him freely give us all things? It's, it's a simple example, but you know, if, if you come to our house and um, my wife, it'll always be my wife, prepares an amazing meal for you, I'm Paul said he's not very good at cooking. If you heard his talk last week, which was very good, he said he's not very good at cooking. Actually, he's not bad at cooking. I, on the other hand, am not very good at cooking. Although, when I got married, I taught Joy all she knew about cooking, which wasn't very much. But she kind of left me there. Is that? Anyway. So, if you came to our house and had a lovely meal, and, and, and in the middle of the meal you felt like you wanted some salt and pepper or a glass of water, would you hesitate to ask for it? Because why? Because there's so much already been given to you. Yeah? And that's the case with forgiveness. God has given us so much in forgiveness. He, he has given us his self, his righteousness, his grace. How much will he not also with him freely give us everything else? 
It's like nothing is significant compared to the fact that God has forgiven us. Does that make sense? The holy God, the God who is just and right and, and pure, has reconciled me to himself through the death of his son. How much shall he not also with him freely give us what we need? So forgiveness is such a big deal. It's by far the biggest thing God has done for us and will do for us in our lives. You know, we'll just stand in eternity. You know, that song in Revelation, worthy, 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 worthy is the lamb who was slain who redeemed us to God from every tribe and every nation and every tongue and has washed us from our sins in his blood. You know, we're not going to stop saying that. Has clothed us in his righteousness. Yeah? It just gets inside of you. And the closer you get to God and his holiness, the, the, the bigger you understand the, the, how great this love of God is. So, he's nailed that certificate of indebtedness to the cross. The grace, there's grace and goodness in that. If somebody does to you something you completely don't deserve and does it graciously and effectively and costly for you. You feel such a, 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 an indebtedness and a love to that person. And that is the natural response that the crustiness of your heart just wants to open up. Why am I so unforgiving when he shows me such great forgiveness? Why is my heart so crusty? And, and I thought of this song from Phil Wickham um, as I was just praying on his. He says, he did it for me, he did it for love. It's your victory, Jesus, you are enough. Because of your cross, my debt is paid. Because of your blood, my sins are washed away. Now all of my life, I freely give. Because of your love, because of your love, I live. All of my life, I freely give because I'm such a recipient of grace. Grace is, is, is like a river, you know, it, 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 it kind of flows in and has to flow out. The more you receive and understand the, the fullness of grace, the more that grace has to kind of work out in our lives. So there's a grace needed to receive forgiveness because it's so incredible. One of the hardest things sometimes we have is to receive. You know, you think, well, you know, I've been invited to these people's house and they're being very generous, but I'll just... I'll just keep my distance a little bit, you know. I, I won't say yes to everything that they, they offer me because I feel a little bit safer if I don't say, thank you, yes, I'll receive all that you've got for me. It's as though we want to measure that grace. But actually, we need grace to receive the fullness of God's forgiveness. It's like, it's like um, I don't reserve, deserve this forgiveness because I repented well. I said the right liturgy. I don't deserve this forgiveness because uh, I confess properly. But what I have is just somehow God has opened up um, a fountain of grace that washes my life. And, and I want more and more of it just to continue to wash me. So there's a grace that God gives to us almost to enable us to receive forgiveness. And even he says that it was his kindness that led me to repentance. It wasn't me discovering that I, I, I was wrong and I needed to turn to God. It was God's kindness that kind of led me to that place that said, oh, wow, I really need you. When I became a Christian, tender age of 17, and, and I really knew I needed God and I was really <coughs> hungry for God. Um, and when I was asked if I wanted to pray and invite God into my life, I, I readily said yes. Um, but there was part of me that kind of thought 
that there was a little bit of a patch up, that, that I was actually all right, and, and, and actually maybe I was doing God a little bit of a favor, just joining. I thought that. I thought, actually, you know, I, I couldn't help it. That's, that's the hardness of my heart, that maybe I was, it was, I was doing something good by becoming a Christian. Um, but in the years since, I just realized how much God has forgiven me for. And I just want to bow that knee and say, God, you just showed me so much mercy. I brought nothing to this but my sin. Um, and you brought everything to it. So there's a well-known parable in Matthew 18. I'm not going to turn there because I, I want to keep to time if I can possibly. But Matthew 18 is this parable about uh, a rich king. He's a king and he has subjects. And um, one of his subjects owes him a phenomenal amount of money. Phenomenal. Yeah? And so the king sort of wants to pull in his debts and sort out his affairs and he has this man come before him and um, the guy knows he can't pay the debt and he's desperate for his family, his children and he, he pleads to the king. He says, king, I can't pay the debt. Uh, would you have mercy? And, and the king has mercy and, lib and, and, and obliterates his debt. So my first question is who... who where did the cost of that fall? The cost of that fell on the king because he no longer had that debt to call in. So forgiveness is always costly. It always has a cost attached to it. It gave the king, it cost the king a lot. He gave up a significant sum. So the king we now know is a forgiving king and his kingdom has a culture which is a forgiving culture. Now, God's kingdom has a forgiving culture. And, and one of the ways he's explained this to us is through the Old Testament and his heart for the poor. So you read in Deuteronomy that God says every seven years, anyone that has a debt to a fellow Israelite, that debt is to be completely written off. Not just half written off, three quarters written off. However large that debt is, I want you to write it off. And he called it, this is the Lord's time for cancelling debts. The Lord's time for cancelling debts. What is the day we're living in? It's called the day of the Lord's favor. This is the Lord's time for cancelling debts. Isn't that powerful? And he said to them, I don't want you to kind of work out how many years it is until the seventh year and not lend any money on the sixth year. I want you to give generously to the poor. And on the seventh year, I want you to clear every single debt. Why did God do that? He was demonstrating his heart. This is the day, this is the time, the Lord's time for canceling debts. The Lord's day, the day of the Lord's favor. So in this parable, which some folks understand to be hard, but I think God just kind of opened a little window of it to me the other day, that in the parable, the, king, the good news in the kingdom of that king is that the king forgives and cancels debts. That's the good news. The king cancels debts. Good news. So what's the culture of the kingdom? The king cancels debts. All right? Who sets the culture in the kingdom? The king. 
All right? So to be like, to be in the kingdom, we want to be like the king. That is what the kingdom of God is, everybody being like the king. That's good, isn't it? So that's the culture of the kingdom. And as a true subject of the king, the king, the person doesn't just receive the wiping off of his debt, but he receives the, the nature of the kingdom, the grace with which forgiveness is given. So the forgiven servant knew the truth that the king forgives debts, but he hadn't received the grace of it. He hadn't received the outworking of it. So when he saw the fellow servant of the same king who just owed him a little, he acted in a way as if he had not been forgiven, as if he had not received grace. He acted in a way that was against the culture of the king, against the culture of the kingdom, as if he were not in the kingdom. And that judgment came back on him when he didn't forgive his fellow servant. It's a powerful story of forgiveness. The surest way to receive grace is to forgive both large and small offenses. It's to recognize just how much we've been forgiven. Sometimes you, you struggle to forgive. Someone upsets you, annoys you. Has anyone ever been annoyed by somebody else? Frustrated? Irritated? Why did, they, why did they treat me like that? Why did they speak to me like that? The best thing every single time is just to think about how much God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. And you go, God, <laughs> forgive me for my smallness of spirit. So the best way to receive grace to forgive is always to recognize how much we have been forgiven. We haven't been let off at no cost. By his grace, our debt was nailed to his cross. The infinite price was paid. So we don't need to persuade God to forgive. Grace and goodness is such a part of who he is. The hard part is often on our side, which is about letting things go and agreeing with God. Letting the guilt and stain of sin go. Now, I'm not saying that there may not be consequences from bad actions. We do things wrong, and sometimes we have to have the consequences in this life. If we break promises... We have hurt relationships, broken marriages, estranged children, and once close friends. Sometimes that's painful, very painful, and needs to be worked out. But and it may take years, if ever. But what I am saying is this, and this is really important, that because of God's forgiveness, we do not need to live under the guilt of that sin. We are free from the condemnation and guilt of it. And we are, can be reconciled to God. And always the first step of being reconciled to other people is being reconciled to God. Yeah? Everyone with me? Great. So it seems to me that God has just kind of emphasized this and emphasized this again and again through the Scripture. So there's four major characters in the Bible, two in the New Testament, two in the Old Testament, who, like the rest of us, were extremely flawed. So in the Old Testament, we've got Moses who um, essentially, as we know, murdered and, and so forth. And we have David, who did likewise. And we have Paul, sadly, in the New Testament, who's also a murderer. And, <laughs> and we have Peter, who denied the Lord. So, you know, the, the really big four guys of the Bible, you know, they, they have to believe in forgiveness, don't they? If they don't believe in forgiveness, there's no way they can minister. There's Moses, who spent... All that time in God's presence, he must have known such a purging of heart and spirit. And likewise with Paul. 
and David. So just what did David say? He said, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him. And, and just think about Paul. Um, somebody mentioned to me, you know, some of the very people that Paul persecuted, he may well subsequently have had to minister to. And, and, and how hard must that have been? And, and, and he said these words, even though I once was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. That's, that's, that's saying the grace of our Lord. That means the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness of God was poured out on me abundantly with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And that is the only way to live. The grace of God being poured out upon us abundantly. Praise the Lord. So just very quickly, two new pictures, and then there could be more. Uh, then we'll just, just close on this whole thing about forgiveness, although we won't because it's too big. Um, it's not the only two. There are, there are others. But the first one is about a New Testament picture of emancipation and, and freedom. Do you remember I told you that Paul condenses his thought when he's writing into kind of seven or eight words and, and people can write books about what he said? Well, here's one of them. So the first one is emancipation. It says, in him, that's in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, accordance with God, the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. And he said a very similar thing in Colossians. He says, for he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's, it's like forgiveness is so central that all of our Christian experience can be mentioned as embracing it. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins through his blood. We has brought us out of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And this word redemption has got this sense of um, prior enslavement or capture by a strong power. So it's like I'm in need of rescue. I, I, I'm in need of being released. I'm in need of being untied. I'm in need of being freed. I'm, I'm captive. And, and the thought of redemption is that a price is paid for my freedom. So in the culture of the day, I could be enslaved. I could have been captured or, or forced into slavery and, and I'm in a slave market and, and, and I'm chained and I'm about to be sold and I'm under somebody else's power. And the picture is that, that the ransom price has been paid for my freedom. In him we have freedom, the forgiveness of sins. It's my slavery has ended because he has paid a ransom price for my freedom, the forgiveness of sins. My slavery is ended in him I have redemption. I have freedom through the forgiveness of sins. So the analogy in the New Testament is that we're slaves to a strong power and cannot free ourselves. We're locked into slavery, controlling thought patterns, motivations, and behaviors. We know today that there's a sort of unseen slavery. There's a wonderful charity called Unseen that kind of wants to release people from modern-day slavery. What it means is that people are under somebody else's power. They are not free to do what they want. They are enslaved. And what they need is someone to set them free. In him we have that freedom. 
we have been set free from slavery. And the key that opened the door and set us free was forgiveness of sins. It broke the chain. It set us free. We are rescued by an even stronger power. And the means of that rescue was a release from sin. And it's not a freedom from something to nothing. It's a freedom from something to something else. He set us free from the slave market to be his sons. He set us free. Um, he set us free from the domain of darkness to come into the kingdom of the son he loves. So isn't that an amazing picture, redemption? In him we have redemption. When, when is that redemption? In him we have redemption. Bit of a clue where we have redemption. When? When? It's now. There's many things in the Bible that God has stored up for the future. The redemption of our bodies, you may have noticed, getting slightly older, getting slightly weaker. The redemption of our bodies is something I'm looking forward to, the, the adoption of sons, the kind of receiving immortality in life. That's in the future. When is this redemption of me? It's now. Here's a startling thought. You'll never be more forgiven than you are now if you've received him. I'll never be more forgiven than I am now if I've received his grace of forgiveness. So that's the first one, redemption. And the second one is, is the temple. Very briefly, I'm just going to describe what goes on in the temple. The temple is the place where God and man meet. It's where God dwells. Firstly, it was in the Garden of Eden where God and man met. Because of Adam's sin, he was taken out of the garden. And um, God in his grace provided a temple that God could meet man. It was the place where he would dwell and that man could meet with him. But to facilitate that meeting between God and man, sacrifices were made on their behalf continuously to create a covering for sin. So God is holy and he had to cover sin. But the sacrifice was repeated every year. And because something is repeated, it means it wasn't effective the first time. If I have to keep on doing something, it's because what I did wasn't effective. So they, the sacrifices could never be enough to fully forgive sins. And they were barriers to God. So what God did in Christ was he made the perfect sacrifice that covered sin and took away sin. And it says all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by, by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, a full satisfaction, a propitiation through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And that picture of the temple is a picture of God and man being fully <coughs> reconciled at the mercy seat. And when we look at ourselves, we think we're unworthy, and that's right, we are unworthy, but God in his love gave Jesus, the eternal God manifested in the flesh, in our place, to fully satisfy the heart of God. And I'm just going to close with this, where, just kind of where we, we began. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, you might argue with that, does anyone want to argue with that statement? 
Which bit of the statement would you like to argue with? By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The process of change is the process of being made holy. But as far as the sacrifice is concerned, because of what? Because it was God's own son that was sacrificed. It was infinite value. Therefore, it's infinitely perfect. Yes? For by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever. I think, you know, I'd almost love to sit, stare at that for half an hour. For by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever those who have been made holy. It's a completed work at the beginning. It's a fantastic thing that we start our faith in God at the end. Because he has by one sacrifice made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's being outworked. I don't think the way I should think all the time. I don't act the way I want to act. I'm not as gracious as I want to be. I'm a bit like what Paul was saying earlier. I'm often disappointed with myself. But as far as my standing with God is concerned, by one sacrifice, not by me, by one sacrifice... He has made perfect forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever those who are being made holy. It's a completed work. Our sins were nailed 2,000 years ago. My sin, past, present, and future, was nailed to the cross. The judge has declared me right the ransom price for my freedom has been paid. The perfect substitute for my sin has been offered. This is for now. You'll never be more forgiven than you are now if you have received the grace of God in your life. For by grace we are saved. And then verse 15. Oh, I underline that. The Holy Spirit testifies to us about this. He says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. And he adds, their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. whether we feel like it or not, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way open up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Amazing love. I know it's true. Should we just stand together and pray? Father God, we just are in awe this morning. We're just in awe at, at, at your love. We're just in awe at your grace and your goodness. We're just in awe at your forgiveness, Lord. We are not worthy and never will be worthy. But we don't want to make your sacrifice unworthy. 
because you are the worthy, worthy, worthy Son of God. And your sacrifice to the Father was worthy of all honor and glory. And Lord, somehow by faith, we want to receive the grace of your gift. That somehow before the Father, you have declared that we, sh we shall be perfect forever. Our minds can't conceive that, Lord. Our heads can't get around it. But we want to say thank you for this new covenant. That you will remember our sins no more. That you will forgive our iniquity, Lord. We want to live as forgiven people, people of grace. People who have received grace. And Lord, as importantly, people who give grace. Lord, you are forgiving God. Whenever I have not given grace, I have not reflected you the way that you are. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will enable us all to be people of grace that give grace freely, immediately and instantly, Lord. And if we don't do it instantly, we'll reflect and then give it forward. Help us to measure, Lord, the fullness of this gift, I pray. Help us to be people of grace, O oh God, people of freedom. And Lord, I renounce every guilt and accusation of condemnation over our lives because it has no place because of the blood of Jesus. Every what if and but and you don't know me and and has to fall in your presence, O oh God. We declare today amongst us, Lord, that the blood of your Son, according to your word, is sufficient. It's made your heart satisfied for your people. It has atoned forever. And therefore we can draw near to God, having our consciences cleansed from a guilty conscience, from an evil conscience. Lord, I just pray as we uphold your word and uphold the blood of Jesus and uphold your truth that we will be a people of freedom. Thank you for revealing it to us again and again and again and again that this was your intention and purpose that we would be a people who draw near to God. Help us to reflect your goodness, Lord, we pray. We love you. We honor you. We, at your feet, we humbly fall. None of us could ever even begin to deserve any of your grace. But we are freely acknowledging your goodness here this morning, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to ask you that if you're just holding on to stuff and just saying, you know, I feel safer holding on to that. I feel safer just kind of not asking for the salt and pepper because I might be even more indebted than I am. We are completely indebted to grace. We are completely indebted to his love. Receive it, all of it. Let every accusation go. Let every guilt go. Let the blood of Jesus just wash it away. We've all done stuff and rubbish and things we just wish we'd never done. We've said and we've hurt. We've caused pain. We've broken relationships. We've dishonored God. We've done so much stuff. 
And it's good to feel the pain of that sometimes, but it's not good to carry the guilt of that. And we just declare right now over our lives that we have been made perfect by the sacrifice of Jesus forever. Forever. It doesn't stand on us, it stands on him. So we just thank you, God. We thank you. We do battle with it, Lord. We do battle with this conscience of ours, Lord. And we say, your word prevails. In Jesus' name.